What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Boy, John of the Macri with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. Um, I wanted to do this last time you were on a whole shtick about how is he my, like, is he my, he's my friend, he's my competition, he's, he's still my, <laughs> my boss, my, uh, I must be forgetting some things, uh, JB, the man of, of many hats, Knicks Film School himself still, always will be. Uh, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Glad to be competition. No, I think I think it makes it fun though to to have some friendly competition. Even though I think we're we're in very different lanes. You are, you know, obviously the the in depth, uh, longer form articles, and right now, which is kind of ironic because, you know, I think Nick's film school that that's what people liked is that you know it went into the details that other places didn't. But for the, for the moment with Daily Nick's, uh, you know, we're more in the aggregation kind of. Uh, Let's come up with something to write since we have to write every day about a team that's not playing. Well, that's my my first question in this very formal interview, of course, is how many articles did you guys pump out today with the breaking news? I, I want to make sure that's in all caps. Breaking news that Tom Thibodeau had his formal job interview. I think that's got to be worth what, like 2.5? I'm going to set the over-under at 2.5 articles. Yeah, that, that's right. No, that was actually where I had to draw the line because even with the Chris Fleming report this week, it's like we all know these guys are interviewing with the team. We went through the whole thing about you know the long list of candidates. The actual day that they interview with the team, to me, just can't be a news story. I, I, I have to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> um, it, we should actually make – I can think of nobody better – to to make a list of like all the different possible things that could come out via Twitter and like where to draw the line of like this is a news story and this is not and then to like rank them from like one to a thousand. <laughs> um yeah, maybe one day on the twelfth of never when uh, neither of us have anything to do. Um so we okay, so let's I we'll get into the thing that I texted you about earlier. So I, I wrote something um for SI Nix this week it's it's the 10 year anniversary of the decision and um i wrote about something that we always used to talk about whether we whether we wanted to or not we inevitably got into it which is like you know basically the state of media and like where are things and where have they been and where are they going um which you were gracious enough to read and I, i'm trying to think what my main point of the article was i guess it's that um we're in a potentially dangerous place where media is concerned um, in, in that, like, you know, good reporters are getting fired. Like Steve Bolpet, I mentioned, he got fired from uh, 
was it the Boston Globe, right? I should probably know this that I read the art, wrote the article. Um, uh, yeah, was it Boston Herald? Hold Herald or Globe, one or the other. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he was like, you know, the senior citizen of NBA beat reporters. Um, and I kind of related this to LeBron, you know, kind of taking his narrative into his own hand, ten into his own hands ten years ago. Um, you know, but I also mentioned uh, something that you know I know you were aware of, which is like Damian Dotson last week got into it with uh, our our friends at Hard Next Life, um, Craig and Barry over on Twitter. <laughs> um, as Dolores has now made her way into the kitchen and is laughing at me as she grabs her ginger ale and crackers. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah. So, you know, I think, I think that plays into it too, in terms of how far social media has come and people feel like, well, I could just get everything that I need from like scrolling Twitter or scrolling Instagram. Now I, I think me and you both believe that that is, that is not accurate, but I, you know, it got me thinking like how many people do feel that way? Um, so I don't know. What, what are your you know, I'll, I'll lob it to you. What are your thoughts on this generally? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think obviously with even the way Nick's film school, we built that up was, you know, nowadays you have to question, does it even make sense to have a traditional blog when most of the information you can put on social media? And, and the reason I got into videos to begin with was I felt like you could convey a lot of detailed information even in a short form like Twitter. I like that idea of take something that people sort of roll their eyes about and say, oh, it's Twitter, you're limited in what you can say, there's nothing useful, it's all quick hit and hot takes, and actually try to make it more in depth and, and using video as a way to do that. Um, so, you know, I, I think I think that's obviously a, a trend now, and, and we know from even outside of basketball in a, in a broader perspective, it's, it's a troubling one because, um, you know, you don't know always where information is coming from, and it's really easy for something that's not. I mean, we we see this with the Knicks all the time, and and recently a good example with uh, the Damian Lillard rumors, where yeah. you know, Mark Berman will write. He's answering a mailbag question. I I know the the beat writers can sometimes you know generate um, speculation that that fans get upset about, but in this case, a mailbag writer what our question was you know do you see damian lillard coming to the knicks and all he did was he just responded that you know lillard had gone on an interview with vogue magazine another old-fashioned form media and said he thought he was going to go to knicks he loves playing at madison square garden and i think he just was connecting the dots that you know the knicks would be a place he would go if a trade were to come up and then that gets put on twitter and it and the way it gets aggregated is you know, Damian Lillard wants to play for the Knicks and then people aggregate. That's like a game of telephone. Damian Lillard demanded a trade. And then I think I saw Lillard even respond to a tweet where oh, someone really? told him. I didn't yeah, even so see someone, that. Someone had said in like mentioned him and said, um, you know, now this guy's like demanding a trade or, or something like that. And he and he actually responded. He said, well, this is what happens when there's no content to write about. People, you know, just start speculating. But it, it, it just shows you the path it takes. And I think this leads into probably, you know, your next point you're getting to about, you know, what the role is nowadays in, um, you know, for reporters and for kind of the, the older fashioned written form when you have 
Twitter that kind of can generate this type of noise that we're talking about, and especially when people are only using that for their form to, to know about the team? Well, I want to say a couple things in response to that. One, um, just generally, and I know you feel the same way because you've had offline interactions with him as much as I have. Mark Berman's a good guy, and he's not like – I saw so many of the responses to that as basically like, oh, this is just Berman making shit up and he's like starting shit to get Knicks fans hopes up just to, you know, get them let down. Like, I, I promise you, I can't even say this with straight face. I promise you, Mark Berman of all people is not that devious. He's <laughs> something else Mark Berman is, is he's a man with a job. Um, and he's pretty, you know, as those around him are, you know, dropping like flies, um, he's, Employed and he's going to stay employed because, and I'm, I'm not trying to employ that, like, or, or imply that you have to, like, go out on a limb, but it's, you have to pick a lane. And I do feel like the days of the traditional beat reporter who just kind of comes in and does his job and does it well, it's like, I, I think those are the, that's what maybe we're in danger of losing because it's either like, okay, you have to be either in the aggregation business, which is what you're doing. You have to be in the long form business and get a, you know, a targeted audience who you know is going to value that, which is what I'm doing. You have to be in like whatever Mark Berman does. I don't want to put a label on it, but like, that's a very specific niche thing. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, well, I saw someone actually recently put out, um, a tweet about this and then explain kind of the cycle and, and it sums it up well. And I wish I remembered who it was to give him credit, but I think it's a pretty well-known concept. And that is it's all a chain and, and every link does have value. But I think the concern is the chain starts with the reporter, I'll label it, who's getting the, the information. They are the ones that are actually getting the prime. They're the primary source that start doing the research um, cultivating sources, getting the information. Then when they put it out there, there's the aggregator. And, you know, to use outside of basketball, like in Axios, there's there's different places you could go to that sort of aggregate the different news, maybe put it in a newsletter. And then there's the explainer. So maybe like a Vox Media is a good example of that. Or in our case, I think like you'd say Daily Knicks, maybe more the aggregator and you and Knicks Film School, more the explainer. Each of those carries an important role to people, but if you break that top part of the chain, the reporter getting the information, you can't have the ones after it. And I think that's the piece that, you know, that that's what concerns people is that they think they can just get away with the second and third piece there. But if you don't have that original source information, I mean, when Mark Berman, when he puts it out, when that story comes out about Lillard, whether it's based on nothing or not, it is amazing how many media sites will pick up that story and make something of it. And all of them are getting paid on views, right? Yeah. And they're all making money off of what Berman put in his original piece. If that's never there, then they don't get, you know, that follow-up chain. So I think that that's the part to kind of remember of how it all comes together. Yeah. And the other challenge, I mean, the, the part that I'm struggling with right now is you, you said it very well. I'm kind of more than anything in the like wearing the explainer hat more often than not. But now occasionally I put, I put on the, the reporter hat and, and although I don't have, you know, I don't have the 10th of the sources that like a, a guy like Berman or, or Bagley or any of those guys do, 
like, you know, I'm starting to, to get little tidbits here and there. And I had heard something about Booker a while ago. Now, you know, it's, it's complicated because like I heard something. Does that mean I think the Knicks are going to trade for Devin Booker this year? No, I don't. I just, like, like I originally said, I think he's a name to keep an eye on as someone maybe they could eventually go after. Now, I then wrote a newsletter on Monday basically detailing all of the reasons why the notion of trading for, for Devin Booker in the next year is absurd because they just, they don't have the pieces and it's just not the right time for them. It's like, what did I, I think the analogy was like, you don't get, you don't go out and buy fancy furniture when like the walls aren't plastered or whatever. But it's, it's just, I don't know. It's I, I like trying to cross streams is, is a challenge and Man, um, there are people who do it and do it well, but I, oh boy, um, it's tough. Um, and I don't, and this is, and the other part of it is as media is developing, I think all of this is like, there's, I don't know, is there a right or a wrong way to go about all this stuff right now? Do you feel like there's no set code of like, you should do this and you should not do this unless I'm missing something? No. Yeah. I think everyone writes their, their own, uh, sort of rules, but you know, I think from reading your piece today, um, you know, the other side, we're, we're kind of right now approaching it from the, uh, the perspective of content producers. Um, but the other perspective is, you know, how the role has been influenced by the actual players, right? So you're talking about LeBron and the decision and how that moment, while it obviously, you know, won't go down in history as the greatest PR moment uh, <laughs> for LeBron, um, yeah. it did. In in some ways, it was because it started an entire new trend of how players, and this is what you wrote about. Um, I'm just proving to you. I actually read it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was um, going to quiz you on it after we got off. Yeah, exactly. But um, but the point is, it started the trend of players taking hold of their own narrative. So now that you know, to, it's almost like this two uh, a war on two fronts. It's one if you're a reporter, how do you deal with sort of the bloggers? the aggregators, the explainers, but then in other, it's how do you, how do you handle just the players, the subjects themselves who are trying to go around you in, in sharing their own news or shaping their own narrative? Well, I think so this, you know, I don't know if the Dotson thing from last week quite fits into that category because what was he doing? He was basically just, you know, he tweeted saying like, <laughs> go get a life. It wasn't really explaining it any other way. The more interesting thing, and this also has I think a lot to do with the Knicks is like, what do you do when a player like Kevin Durant comes out and says the things that he's said over the course of the last year, which is that like, I mean, maybe I missed something, but he's essentially come out and said, like, I never really considered the Knicks. Right. Um, whereas like, obviously it is in his benefit to now sit here and, and be like, I, you know, my heart was always set on, on Brooklyn for this reason or that reason. Um, like he's saying it, he's the source, right? He's the guy you try to get the answers from. He's saying it, consider it, but do we believe him? Um, personally, I think, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm more on actually of the side that like the Knicks maybe didn't have as much of a chance or maybe let me rephrase that. The injury didn't have as much to do with his not picking the Knicks as some other things. Um, but that said, I do think it raises some interesting and some difficult questions. And I don't know, again, I don't know that we have the answers to those questions right now. Yeah, I mean, I think what it comes down to is, 
and, and this again, it's not unique to basketball. It's when the players have the, the amount of power that they do, it creates a situation where you feel like, you know, access journalism becomes a thing, right? Because it's all about these guys are going to go around me. They're going to report news on their own. But if, you know, if I'm kind of kind to them, if I shape my story in a certain way, then maybe they will give me more information. And again, not unique to, to the NBA, but I do think right now in this period of time, we're seeing that more than ever. And, and this saying this on a Knicks podcast is not going to win me any friends, but for all of the <laughs> things- When has that, that ever stopped you? <laughs> for all of the things that Frank Isola does that people do not like, yeah, he is one of the rare national level reporters who- does not care when he sends out a tweet about a player. He will go after anyone. And you just don't see that anymore because it, you, you're not going to, I mean, other than taking a shot at the Knicks, Wo, because Woj seemingly doesn't have, you know, didn't have many contacts with the Knicks, um, you know, which could change now, obviously. But, you know, other than that, you're not going to see him really take shots at anyone. Why? Because he has relationships with everyone. And part of the way he's getting information is because they trust that he's going to present it in a certain way. And I just think that what's missing here is just people sort of calling bullshit on things. And that's what used to have the media there to do to say, hey, wait a minute, like this doesn't make sense. And it sounds and, it, and it's kind of ironic in, the, in this time we're living in now where, you know, we're all having discussions about kind of cancel culture and what that means. You could argue now more than ever, people are being called out. But that said, in sports, when it's not a political subject and it's just about like on on the court, I do think it's I, I don't think the critique from the media is as strong as it used to be. And I think it all goes to what we're talking about here because of the way the, the player has more power in terms of shaping their narrative. Yeah, but there, there's, yes, I understand cancel culture is a thing, but there are plenty of examples of this that have, that don't even border on cancel culture, which is like, you know, the day that, or I, I forget what, I, if it was June 30th or July 1st that he sent out the tweet um, Woj after the Knicks made their, you know, I think they had announced like Bullock and like basically everybody that they had signed other than Morris who came later. Woj sent out that tweet like, good job, Scott Perry filling the roster with like, I forget what his exact terminology was, but it was something like, you know, respected veteran presence, like guys that, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And then of course, the day that Fisdale is fired, who obviously Fisdale represented by CAA, it's a gutted rudderless roster. Um, and it's like, who, to your point, who's, who's calling out? I mean, I called Woj out on that day. You know, he obviously doesn't give two shits what I think. Um, but like, who else is calling, who else is calling him out? Nobody. And then, you know, in a, like a separate but related issue, you had the Kyrie thing a few weeks ago where in describing the exact same, exact same conference call or whatever it was, you had Chris Haynes calling Kyrie inspiring, and then you had Woj calling him a disruptor. And it's again, I, when the media are the ones applying the labels, who who is left to, like you said, call bullshit? And I, I don't, I don't think we have a good answer to that question right now. And, I, and the sad thing is, I'm not sure we're going to get a good answer anytime soon. So, yeah. 
As yeah, yeah, no, and and I think with with Hardnick's life, I, you know, I was one of the ones that's, or maybe the only one that came out <laughs> de- defending them, and it's because to me, you know, whether you agreed with what they said or not, and I think they made a mistake with the way they presented it, uh, putting, you know, Dotson's picture out and, and sharing, you, you know, the, their harsh critique of him. If you if they didn't do that piece of it, and you just listen to like what they said, well, again, it, you know, it, it could be harsh for Dotson fans to hear. There's nothing wrong with questioning whether, you know, uh, he does fit with the team. Again, whether you believe it or not. And I just feel like nowadays it's um, it, it becomes harder to almost have that opinion, especially if a player then calls you out because it's just especially I, I should say, especially if you are one of these kind of independent content producers where you don't have the normal mechanisms to have contact with players. So you're better off kind of being nice to the players and promoting how much you like them. And then maybe you have a chance in some way or another to get access to them. You know, I don't know. Is it really worth it at that point? I kind of like just seeing fans have, you know, their honest opinion about it. But what it, what it sets up and God, can we ever have a discussion that doesn't veer into politics? I, I will not make this political, but you're going to see why I said that. What it sets up is a dichotomy where you as a content producer, it does it does not behoove you to basically like call things as you see them, which is to say you either try to be overly nice and try to curry favor wherever you can so as to not, you know, in this example, get called out by a player um, or go the complete opposite extreme and try to be, I'm trying to think of an example of someone who just, you know, is like um, scorched earth. Like th- there are content producers out there who basically that is how they make their, make their bones. And then the reason I said, you know, we always end up getting into politics is like, that's where we are in this country where it's like, it's either all the way to the left or all the way to the right. If you're in the middle, you're dead. And again, it's not a healthy place to be. Um, it's, you know, I, I think the, you, you have no choice but to try to basically build up your reputation and be respected by the people that you respect. And then, you know, you have to just kind of stand by your, you know, say what you see, you know, say it when you see it and then just stand by what you say, you know, and, but again, that's not – if you're an independent contract producer try, or content producer trying to make a name for yourself, that's – boy, that's a slow go. Yeah, right. It, it's tough. Well, also just even think about how as fans, you know, we interact about the team. I mean, as fans, I, I think, you know, the whole part of being a fan is it's acceptable. You're going to overhype certain players on your team. Um, that That's what you do. But at the same time, like think about Kristaps Porzingis is a perfect example. Do we have to? I'm, well, this is a good example, right? I mean, if if you if a fan went on Nick's Twitter and said any of the things that's being said about him now from the time period leading up to that trade, you would just be ridiculed and, and, and called a fool. I mean, yeah. you know, maybe there are some people obviously that were worried about his injury history or something like that. But for the most part, without that caveat, you know, he was universally praised by all Knicks fans. And then he gets traded. And we know the circumstances leading up to it weren't ideal, but it's like, it's almost made it where now you can't even have an honest conversation anymore about, about his game because fans are so triggered by him. 
And I think all of the sort of negatives are highlighted and brought out. And I'm not sure that, again, this is speaking to Nick's Twitter. I don't necessarily think this is true, like broadly in the world of Nick's fans. But I, I don't know anymore if, if there is a fair assessment on, you know, Przingis' game and the impact that that trade really had on the organization because it's just clouded by, you know, this sort of group think that I think tends to happen on, on social media. So so I, I don't know. It, it's Well, there is. It's like, but that's that's when you get to a level like, I mean, I know not everybody feels this way about him, but like to me, Zach Lowe is like the great arbiter when it comes to things that have to do with the NBA. It's like him and not only him, a few others, but like just like respected voices who have gotten past all this bullshit that we're talking about and have elevated themselves to a place where they can just call it like they see it and they don't have to worry about it. You know, it's like that's where you get your fair assessments now. But it shouldn't it shouldn't come down to Zach Lowe and like whoever else you put on that that plane. Right. It's, you know, but it, it, it has. And, you know, that kind of sucks. Um, man, why'd you have to bring up KP? I was having such a <laughs> pleasant conversation. Um, all right. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Oh, yes. Um, so the other thing that I, I wanted to touch on, tangentially related to LeBron, maybe, maybe not. Um, we haven't talked about uh, World Wide West since he was officially hired. Um, if, if indeed what we are saying is true, which is that the athletes do have a lot more power um, in crafting their narratives and taking their, you know, their stories into their own hands, their careers into their own hands, the whole thing. Um, theoretically, this should bode well for the Knicks because they have a guy who has been helping athletes, you know, basketball players kind of craft their narratives uh, from behind the scenes for four years, um, and he is now on their on their payroll. So with with that with that backdrop, um, what, what is your what are your impressions of the worldwide bus hire? Yeah, I I have a hard time with it just because I think this is a good example where you know me just some idiot sitting on my couch rooting for the Knicks. Um, I just I just can't possibly know how much you know, his influence or his connections really do matter. Um, you know, I, I tend to think that it, it's sort of like we're seeing right now where, you know, d- different sports coming back and, and players making decisions whether to play or not. And, and you start to see that, it, you know, because of it being a health crisis, I think people are more willing to say, okay, it, it's clearly a personal decision. We got to detach it from the particular teams at play. But I think more decisions than we realize that the players make in terms of where they play are based on those same parameters. But as fans, we we want to always attach the team meaning more than maybe we should. And because of that, I'm not sure. Like, yeah, I, I know from reading about World Wide West, he obviously has a lot of connections with, with different people. But I'm just not sure how you then extrapolate that out and say, well, that means that he's going to go and get player X to want to come play here. Because like we saw with Durant, you know, just recently, it's just you can't predict what factors will go into a personal decision at a given point in time. And while maybe that one connection in that one instance might be the difference maker, 
I could very well see it being several times where it's not. I mean, we've all done that in life where you might have a good friend who works somewhere and maybe that does give you reason to decide to go work with them. But there's a lot of times maybe it doesn't. So that that's why I kind of struggle with like putting too much meaning on it. Yeah, I I, I guess where I'm struggling with like with this is and it, this it's that's not only Wes, but it's with it's Leon Rose and it's like some of the other people that hire like. I I continue to think that there is like the the main thing that has held the Knicks back has been this air of incompetence. Um, and I, I don't, <laughs> I was about to say, I don't want to pick on Steve Mills on this show, but I'm talking to the man who probably picked on Steve Mills as much as anyone <laughs> over the course <laughs> of the last year. Um, you know, but I, I do think rightly or wrongly, there was, and actually, no, you know what? It, this gets to my, the other part of my point, which is that rightly or wrongly, there was a, there was a perception I think that existed that, the Knicks, unlike, you know, maybe 29 other teams of basketball, had a businessman running their their basketball operations. And that that was not what you want. Um, but is like, yes, we could point to a lot of his decisions and say like, well, you know, the proof is in the pudding. But at the same time, how much of that was based on just like reputation and how much of that was based on evidence? And then that gets me back to World Wide West, which is like, how much of this has to be him and Rose and Perrin and all these guys showing everybody that the Knicks are a, a competent organization? Or is it just like it's the same cafeteria table? The only difference is like the, the chess or like band, who, who are the loseriest kids in your high in your high school, like the band kids, <laughs> the chess, yeah, the, the, the mathletes, the band kids get get picked on. Yeah, probably the band kids because the theater kids they they would get picked on in my high school, but they just didn't care. They were in their own world. So yeah, we'll, we'll say the band. Well, kids. the Knicks care when they get picked on. So let's say the band kids. They, it's like the same cafeteria table, except the band, the band kids, the you know the saxophone players and trumpeters and uh, Delore. What instrument did you play? Clarinet players. They just got up and they moved to a different table, and and the football team sits down. That seems to be what happened with the Knicks. Um, is that enough? Or do they need to show something like, you know, with that? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think we're all hoping that, again, the guys that none of us had really heard of until the Knicks hire them. And then you hear they're talked about um, highly amongst other people in the league is the Walt Perrins, the Alex Kleins, where are, are these the it's one, you know, like any organization, you, you know, you're going to have kind of the face of the company. And obviously that, that role is important, but you know, the real work is getting done by the direct reports. And it seems like the Knicks have hired a good group of direct reports. And I think, you know, practically speaking, it seems like they will dictate more of what happens than just the guy at the top. The guy at the top might set like an overall direction and, you know, that that matters. But it's like at the end of the day, when they go and do a draft pick, unless they just don't, unless, you know, Rose is like, I'm just going with my gut and I don't care what anyone tells me. You know, if he listens to someone like Perrin and and makes the the pick, then you you do feel good, you know, uh, about where they're at. We just don't know what that dynamic will be. Yeah. And. Yeah, I mean, I think you just answered it. It has to be both, right? Because if they, you know, if the if the product on the floor this season 
resembles what it did last season, it's I like is it going to matter? Like who's in the front office now? I I don't you know if 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 they draft someone who turns out to be a a clear dud in the you know as a rookie, like again, I, how much is it going to matter that they're there now? I think it might just be like, yeah, well, whatever. These guys were also on the outside, but you know. But then again, who knows? It's like, you know, if they clear a bunch of cap space this summer, and like, you know, we we. But see, that's what we thought last time, right? We thought Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving weren't going to care the fact that they look like the gang that shouldn't couldn't shoot straight. They because they were going to come in and change it, and obviously we were wrong. You know, I. It, does that does that logic hold true? I don't know. I guess we'll find out soon enough. Um, all right. We are, well, we are four minutes past the girls' bedtime. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't keep you for that much longer. Any? Um, g- give me a closing thought. What, what what's on your mind? It's something you look for, looking forward to with you know the Orlando bubble. Maybe are you are you excited to hear who they hire as coach? Like what's what's on the mind of Jeff Bullen right now? Where the Knicks are concerned? Yeah, I mean. I guess the coaching hire getting into August where you know who the coach is, the lottery is within sight and you can start, you know, getting toward real discussion about, you know, what the roster will look like. Um, I think that is exciting, but I think, you know, like everyone that the big question is just, you know, the world we live in right now, like how is this bubble going to work? Um, you know, baseball is, is coming back too in two weeks. Like they're actually traveling. Um, how does that work out? You know, so to me, it's like this next mu- uh, month and a half is maybe a hint at what our just everyday lives are going to look like <laughs> a lot longer after that, right? With kids going back to school or not, because sports, I mean, as we know, I, I always keep telling people, it's like, you know, yeah, I'm an NBA fan. So maybe I place like an added emphasis on terms of that being in my newsfeed. But the NBA is a multi-billion dollar industry. And when it shut down, it really was one of the leaders in terms of reacting to, you know, the dangers of the virus and saying, we're just going to shut everything down because they shut down. I think it was on a Wednesday night. Yep. And by Friday, my kids' schools were closed. So, you know, it, you don't want to place too much emphasis on like how a sports league does. This is not their area of expertise. But I do think a lot of people are watching these things. And if they come back and do great or fail miserably. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if you kind of see other place, other companies and, and decision makers kind of use that in, in guiding how they want to do things. So, so that's what I'm kind of interested in seeing. It's kind of a boring answer, but this is the, the world. No, I, no, I, I mean, look, we could, it's, it's not a boring answer because it could spur a conversation about all kinds of things that matter, you know, a whole lot more. Um, but I'm, I'm with you. Um, I, I just want to see if they get to the finish line. And I guess once they, once they get past a certain point that like they they will get to, they will, they will push on through regardless of like what casualties have befallen, you know, whatever teams are left. But, and, and look, maybe I'm not too naive and maybe we've already gotten past that point because as you well know, um, God, so many dollars are at stake. Um, I don't know if I would say like the, 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 like the sake of the league is at stake because it's, you know, it's a strong league, but like, man. Well, let me ask, let me ask you this. 
if and I and you know they've they've had this discussion and they must have some answer in, in the league office about what happens in this case. But to me, where if you remove the health dangers and just focus on what impact could happen to the league, to me, where the league could be impacted is if you're playing in an environment that clearly um, you lose even the competitive uh, spirit, um, integrity of it. That's what I'm looking for. So if you suddenly have it where, you know, you're in a playoff series and a couple players, you know, can't play, but they're at the back of the bench. So therefore, you know, it's, it's not a big deal. So you keep playing, but then the same number of players get impacted, but they're star players. I, I know where you're going and, with this. You know what I mean? And it's, it's like, so what, what do you do? And then now it's like, okay, everyone keeps saying, is this going to be tainted? What, whatever sport comes back, is, is there an asterisk to me? That we can't answer that question till we see what happens. If all the teams can play and somehow the players, you know, stay healthy and you don't lose guys in key games, et cetera, then I don't think you need an asterisk. I think this is one of the most difficult seasons to win. But if you're in the NBA Finals game three and suddenly LeBron or whoever your Kawhi or whoever it is can't play, that's where I, you know, you worry like what what do you call this? But, you know, like Derek Rose tore his ACL in the first round of the playoffs and the Bulls got eliminated when they were one seed, whatever it was, seven or eight years ago. Um, like Kevin Durant blew, you know, his Achilles blew up on the court in, uh, you know, not, not too long ago. Like this feels different, but at the same time, I, I don't know. Like it's, is it different? Like, why is it? Like, that's. I, I guess it's different because you're saying to yourself, one is a basketball-related injury, so it's sort of part of playing the game, part of the risk playing the game. Now you can say here it is part of the risk by returning and playing amid the pandemic. Yeah, but it's I, still not. Everybody faces not a the basketball. same. Yeah, but everybody faces the same risk. This isn't like I could see if it was like. I'm just, I, this is literally the first thing that came to my head, but like if if one team had to go play in some decrepit gym and one of their players tripped over a loose nail coming up out of the floor and tore his ACL because they're, you know, whatever, the owner couldn't afford any be- like better accommodations, like that would be different because that would be disparate circumstances. You know what I mean? Like the, everybody is facing the same thing and yes there is like an air of randomness to it but when isn't there an air of randomness to the injuries that like befall certain players i don't i don't know yeah no i mean i get that i think because of the bubble aspect you could argue that evens the playing field you know a bit like i think about baseball and i don't know if it's if it's true what you just said where everyone's necessarily like I, I think you do, you are going to have organizations who have more resources. That you know, we know there's in basketball there's a salary cap. I mean, in baseball there's a luxury tax. But the area where the wealthy teams can always have an advantage is off the court because there's no cap on what they spend there. And you do wonder: are certain teams able to invest more in keeping their players healthy? And again, you could say, well, hey, that's all part of the organization who does best both on and off the court. They're the ones that, you know, deserve to win. But I guess I'm just saying that it, it really creates kind of, a, especially when you add in, I, I mean, I don't even know with betting lines, maybe they just need to turn them off when they come back. But when you, when you <laughs> add in these different aspects, it, it's tricky because it's just not, 
it's just such a unique situation where it's not necessarily the fault of someone if for some reason they get exposed in some way and another one uh, didn't. And it's not it's not a risk that, like I said, happens because, you know, within the game, within playing basketball, it's a risk that's just like out in the world. And I think it, I don't know. In my mind, it makes it different, but maybe I'm wrong. No, I know it does make a difference because like if we're sitting there and it's game three of the finals and the Bucks are up 2-0 on the Lakers and Giannis finds out an hour before tip-off that he's contracted this thing and the Bucks have blown out the Lakers for two straight games and then he's in a mandatory whatever day quarantine and they lose four straight and the Lakers win the title, like – that's that's something that I think would be a big deal. Right. And obviously these are the extreme examples. So, you know, it, it might yeah, not be. Yeah, but is that, that how even, extreme is that? Like really, well, how extreme is that? We're picking right, we're picking the top player. But I guess to me it's oh, you know, pick pick Harden, LeBron, Kawhi. You could name you know, it's like we always talk about the league comes down to seven or eight guys. Well, you know, this is gonna come down to seven or eight guys. But the to me the more complicated one is we know, I mean, it's not as easy as, um, you know, we, we're seeing it with Major League Baseball right now, right? Like they're, they're getting tested and then they're not getting results as quick as they thought they would from the labs. Yeah, that's true. You would have to think that, you know, going through this over several weeks, they will get the timing down. But what about you're entering game three, like you just described, and a player just has symptoms, but well, you don't even have the the test results then. What do you do? Like that's going to be those are the more the more gray areas. And when they don't have symptoms and they test positive, and you know, just imagine like what what's going through your mind if you're that player where it's like I know I'm pretty much healthy because I don't you know even though I have it I'm asymptomatic, but yet because I tested positive I lose a chance to win the. the well, like, could you imagine? Could you imagine the shitstorm that would happen? And this is the last thing we're going to say because I'm saving you from yourself. You have to put the girls to bed. Could you imagine the shitstorm that would happen if, again, just picking random names out of a hat, like Kawhi like, came forward with symptoms that he was feeling in the middle of the Western Finals, got diagnosed, was forced to sit out, the Lakers beat the Clippers, and then in the finals, again, same same teams, Giannis knew he had symptoms and like, di- like didn't come forward. And it was later revealed that he had it and like he didn't come forward. And, you know, wh- you know, is that fair that like he got to pl- like could some shit like that I could see happening. And that being man, that would be a that would be a real thing. All right. Um, it is now 7.44. We're a minute away. The girls are probably screaming for their dad. I feel so bad for them. I apologize. Yeah, well, no, this was, this was I said 7.45, right, so you did good saying myself because this is where they do uh, brush your teeth, go to the bathroom, get in your pajamas. That's 7.30 to about 7.45. So they're like lay in bed, read a story, and then do like the 20-minute ritual of all right, I'm leaving to go downstairs now. And then, no, I'm not going to sleep if you leave. Come back. Nope, I'm going downstairs. Go downstairs. Come to the edge of the stairs. Dad, I need water. You already had water. Dad, I'm scared. No, you're not. Dad, I can't fall asleep. You fall asleep every single night. 
that 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 routine starts right now. So I I get to go and and, and start that, and it will follow that exact um let you know exact script. Last question: Give me one bedtime story you, that you read them. Uh, what did we do last night? It was the red crayon, I think it was called, but it's about <laughs> the different um, crayons and markers and highlighters have personalities. So like the green highlighter is all like, oh, you know, everyone picks on me because I like stick out and then you know, the, the red the, it's the red uh, pen and then the red oh, pen okay. it's always getting everyone in trouble because a teacher uses the red, the red pen, pen to mark if you're correct or not so there yeah. you go um, yeah no that's we did uh, bedtime for Elmo earlier um, which was which is lovely um, and it's very accurate because he t- talks about how Elmo has to check on his boo-boos Every night before he goes to sleep, which my daughter actually does. She has to like examine any scrapes or cuts or things that she's gotten to make sure they're not. I don't, I don't know what she thinks is going to happen. All right. On that note, um, everybody, thank you for listening to another episode of uh, John and JB shoot the shit. Um, we will be back with uh, another exciting episode of the next film podcast uh, before you know it. Have a great weekend.